So I have to say a big thanks to James and Megan always, but today's songs just really, gosh, they just really resonated with what I've been thinking and praying and struggling with this week as we look at the story of Solomon. And so I'm going to read the scripture from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And I know this is kind of a long section, but it's important for us to get the whole picture. So, um, so bear with me um, and try not to nod off. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statues of his father David, only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people. So numerous they cannot be counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor all your life. Other, goodness gracious. Sorry about that, folks. I give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Then Solomon awoke. It had been a dream. He came to Jerusalem where he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and offerings of well-being and provided a feast for all his servants. This is God's word for us today. Thanks be to God. So, 
I don't know how many of you have stayed up late at night reading the book of 1 Kings. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background because I just read from chapter 3. Um, if you had read chapters 1 and 2, you would have felt like you were in the middle of Game of Thrones. Um, the Lannisters, Cersei, Ned Stark, or Scandal. I love Shonda Rhimes. Uh, Olivia and Fitz and all of the underhanded things that take place when people use power to get what they want. So this chapter, chapter 3, takes place after David's death. The first two chapters in 1 King lays out all of the things that took place in order to get Solomon on the throne. So count down with me for a minute, if you will. There was the murder of Joab, the military commander of Israel. There was an exile of the priest Abiathar who chose to back Adonijah instead of Solomon. There was domestic violence as Solomon orders the murder, murder of his brother Adonijah, the rightful heir to the throne, David's eldest living son. There was the marriage alliance to the Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt. There was the worship of idols as Solomon routinely traveled to Gibeon to sacrifice there instead of building the temple in Jerusalem for the Ark of the Covenant. Wow. That's in two chapters. All of this stuff takes place before Solomon sits on the throne. And I lay that out because it's important for us to understand Solomon's path if we're going to understand what the dream in chapter 3 means for him. And I think... And this is the really critical piece, folks, because if, if we can't apply what Scripture, what these stories in Scripture are trying to teach us, there's not a real point to reading that book. We've got to be able to understand how this lives and breathes for us today. So the first thing that I've, I figured out as I spent time with this was, just like Solomon you and I are all a mix of good and bad motives and intentions. How many times have we done or said things intentionally, unintentionally, that brought about consequences we didn't expect? Bad things that happened because of our actions. And that's part of life, isn't it? But, but recognizing that we all have this mix of good and bad pieces, things that we do, things that we say, none of us is perfect. And so true to form in my own life, I had a great example of this um, that happened to me this week. Don't you just love that when God, you know, something happens and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I not understand in the middle of this what was going on? So I work at Lorton Community Action Center, which is a human service nonprofit that serves southern Fairfax County. Oh my gosh, by the way, I didn't say who I was. I'm Linda Patterson. I am not James Henry. Um, and uh, James is on his last day of uh, retreat and vacation. Anyway, back to my story. So 
I run this human service nonprofit in Southern Fairfax County. And since the pandemic started in mid-March, it has been a struggle for me. I have struggled many days um, to focus on what was needed at LCAC for us to do um, the good we're called to do in the community, to help low-income families, seniors, military members. Uh, and, and it's been especially hard during the pandemic because you see what's helpful for staff or the volunteers may not be in the best interests of families that we serve. And likewise, what's in the best interest of our families may not always be what makes the lives of our staff and volunteers easy. You know, case in point this past week, we you know, were outside in the middle of this crazy heat that we've been having. And it's brutal. You're literally dripping sweat while you're trying to serve folks. And that makes it very difficult. But we can't not serve people, despite all of the circumstances. So this tension of trying to do what's best for the families that may or may not always fit in line with what's best for staff and volunteers um, sometimes gets the best of me. And on Thursday, um, I was not having a great day. And I was immensely frustrated with a staff person. Uh, I felt like things were not, there was something going on with this staff person. They weren't communicating effectively. I felt like they were missing all of these pieces of their job that they weren't doing well. And I wanted to communicate to that staff person that things weren't working, but the way I did it really sucked. I just, I was not good at, at, at talking to them about the problems that were going on. I was focused on how all of this was affecting me and not how things were impacting LCAC or taking into consideration what was going on with that person. Now, it'd be really easy for those of you guys who know me and, you know, may text me later, oh, Linda, you meant well, you know, but it's not about, it's not about that. We need to recognize that our motives and our desires may not always drive us to the best place, which is what happens in Solomon's story. So anyway, back to Solomon. So David, his father, has died. Solomon's on the throne, and this is where God directly enters Solomon's story. Because it's in the messiness of Solomon's life that God acts in a dream, right? Solomon helped to put all this stuff into action, right? This wasn't, you know, other people behind the scenes doing this to get him on the throne. Solomon had a heavy hand in this. And yet, we're told in verse 4, the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I should give you. Can you imagine? You're Solomon. You've killed your brother and the commander of Israel's army. You've exiled the high priest. You've married a foreign princess, and you've sacrificed to idols. And still, God asks, what shall I give you? And I think in this, these next verses, we see, we hear Solomon's answer 
is a first glimpse of his wisdom. Solomon says, we have shown, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this day, you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or how to come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? So God asks, what can I give you? And Solomon's response is a discerning mind, wisdom. In verse 10, God responds, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I do now according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. So Solomon awakes. It's been a dream. He came to Jerusalem where he stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and he offered up burnt offerings and offerings of well-being and provided a feast for all his servants. Now, I got to say, if you're a little bit like me, you're sitting there thinking... Wait a minute. There is something wrong with this situation. Why is Solomon getting wisdom? He doesn't deserve this. Look at all the things he has done wrong. He's broken relationships with family. Heck, he's killed family. He's broken relationships with community. He's worshipped idols. And yet, and yet, we see that failure doesn't always destroy us or stop God's work in the world. And this is a key piece. God can work in and through and in many times in spite of us to share God's infinite and amazing love. Failure does not destroy us or stop God's love in the world. Now, you may not have... You may not be able to identify with Solomon and in this whole Game of Thrones maneuvers to get to the throne of Israel. And it might be easy for us to dismiss his story as relevant to us. I mean, really, how many of us are this manipulative? But this story doesn't just teach us about us. It shows us that God can bring redemption to our neighbor, our enemy, to anyone, right? This isn't just about Solomon. Even if we don't feel like we've ever been Solomon, how many times do we discount someone thinking that God can't redeem that person? How many times? 
So maybe you're not Solomon in the story. Maybe you're Abiathar the priest who was exiled. Or maybe the story is so foreign to you, you're like, seriously, Linda, Linda, what can I take from today's time together? All right, so you ready? Ready? Here's the big reveal from chapter 3 of 1 Kings. If we move from me, which is Solomon's original focus, right, because it was all about the throne, it was about the Pharaoh's daughter to make sure that there wasn't going to be a war with Egypt. If we move from me to we, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, then we are living the dream. The dream that the gospel story, and I believe God's work in Jesus, has laid out in Scripture. You see, in this move from me to we, we move from power to vulnerability. We move from control to self-giving. We move from rhetoric, saying all the right things, to silence. We move from crazy, frenzied reactions to stillness. We move from doubt to faith, from cynicism to hope, from fear to the big one, love. Because if we live out the dream of God's love for each of us, then that love in Jesus enables, encourages, and teaches us to choose we over me. And this choice is reflected in and through our words and actions. So if you go back to my earlier story, my failure this week, if I had been in the we, not the me, then I could have started by asking for a time to talk, asking if everything was okay, as the staff person seemed out of sorts. More than likely, we could have skipped all of the difficult moments that happened Thursday afternoon and focused on something that would have been much more important. I don't know about you, but right now in our world, I feel like we live in the most me-focused culture ever. This is evidenced by the, con the confrontations that are captured daily in social media posts, by our focus and obsessions on likes, comments, and the need to put everything out in the world. We each have ways we can move beyond me and begin to live more we-like. may look a little bit different for each of us, but I think scripture gives us a clue as to what this looks like. You see, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Me to we. We is reflected in how we spend our time. We is reflected in how we spend our money. We is reflected in what we say about our friends 
and even more so what we say about those who we don't like or who have hurt us. The implications of this we related to politics and religious beliefs in the world today is huge. In the midst of the racial struggles and awakenings in our country, I've been reading Dr. Martin Luther King's writings recently. You know, on December 1st, 1955, Mrs. Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat in the section of the bus for black Americans, the back of the bus, mind you, to a white person because the white section was full. Her arrest led to weeks of boycotts on the bus system of Montgomery, Alabama by more than 50,000 black Americans who walked and shopped exclusively at black stores using their economic power to bring about change. As the movement grew in Montgomery with the planning of black Americans to push for change, Dr. King was at a meeting on January 30th, 1956, focused on nonviolent change in the community when his home was bombed while his wife and child were home. Here's what he said. Love is our great instrument and our great weapon, and that alone. You see, friends, when we move from me to we, when we seek to live out God's dream, we can no longer stand by while black and brown brothers and sisters are treated as less than in the criminal justice system, in the educational system, in the workplace, in government, in our neighborhoods, and yes, our churches. Not just in 1956, folks, but in 2020. This is still happening. When we are living out we, we use our love and power to change the world, even if that means that we are at risk, like Dr. King, Mrs. Rosa Parks, John Lewis, and others were and many still are today, getting in good trouble for the sake of the world. This is the time, my friends, we move from me to we or we perish. Grace runs deep from this God who loves us deeply. We can move beyond who I am and who you are to who we are within God's love. Seizing God's love and, more importantly, God's grace and forgiveness gives us the freedom and the possibility to respond to God's question. Action is required. Solomon had to choose. He responded to God's question, ask what I should give you. What is your response to God's question? Is it me or we, as we're called to live this dream that God has for each of us? A dream that chooses love, that chooses other, that chooses action, that chooses hope, that is enabled by the love that is offered to each of us in the resurrected Christ. Solomon's story teaches us that there is a different way that God wants us to go a way that focuses beyond ourselves to the greater world. My prayer is that we will each be wise enough to live the dream that God in Christ Jesus lays before us.